Um, I don't know if you've been following the news, uh, but this week was a hard week because a young man was jogging and uh, people assumed poor things about him and uh, gave themselves permission and uh, and this week it was revealed that he was shot and uh, and a lot of us are taking a look at the motives of that and going this is a bad thing somebody gave themselves permission to think the worst about someone you see at the challenge of each one of us is this idea that we really are always checking other people's heart motives. Not so much our own, but other people's. Today is all about the heart and those heart motives as we continue our, our discussion today about the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the red letters of Jesus Christ and uh, we took a break last week and took a look at some different red letters just because I felt like it was appropriate. But this week we're going to be taking a look at the red letters that follow what Christ said in the middle of chapter 5 of Matthew. So we're in Matthew chapter 5 today. We're taking a look at red letters and we're going to be talking about the issue of the heart. And specifically there's a reason we're going to be talking about that. Christ explained at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that he did not come in to abolish the law and the prophets, or what basically we would call the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And, and the amazing thing, as you read through the book of Matthew, you're going to find the word fulfill is mentioned like 15 times, as especially in the area of prophecy, you see all the different ways that Jesus fulfilled that. But as he continued in this passage, he gave a challenge to the people. Because he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And specifically, he's going to be talking about the practices and the ethics that go along with the kingdom of God. And he made this challenge to the people. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's interesting, if you went to the beginning of the passage, he said that the poor in spirit would be the ones that would enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to begin by reminding you of something. It's not so much about how you act, but how Christ act that is the reason that you have entrance into the kingdom. Jesus Christ dying on the cross gave you the opportunity to have a place in the kingdom but once we have our place in the kingdom and we're citizens of the kingdom because of our relationship with the Lord, there is an ethic that we have to live out. And the ethic has to be stronger than the do-gooders of that time. You know, there are a lot of great people in the world today. A lot of people that do really good things. In fact, I'm surrounded by them. I am blown away by here in the Adirondacks, the number of people that are going out of their way to do good and take care of their neighbor and love the poor and all of these things. But there is a reality that, that our ethic or our practice has to go deeper than just doing good. Now, there's this vast chasm on one side of it's being a do-gooder, and on the other side of it's being godly. And the difference between those two is huge. And that's what Jesus is going to start talking about as he gives us six different examples in Scripture here of examples of what people have been taught to believe and 
how that should be expanded to have the kind of righteousness that he's speaking of. First of all, he talks about expanding thinking about murder. Now, think about this. He's going to talk about this, and he starts always by saying, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, it's interesting that he could have said here, the commandments tell you you should not murder. But instead, he's kind of speaking from where the people are coming from. You know, it's really interesting when you think about it. You have heard it said. There's a lot of you have heard it said today that would be an example of what he was trying to do here. You have heard it said that cleanliness is next to godliness. But when you look for that in scripture, you're not going to find that idea. You have heard it said, God helps those who help themselves. But when you look in scripture, you're not going to find that idea. So this was the idea people had about what the Bible said. But this is not exactly what the Bible said. In fact, Jesus is going to go on to expand this idea to something larger than just simply the idea of first-degree murder. This is what Jesus Christ is going to say about murder. Next verse. But I tell you, if anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the, the hell of fire. Now, let's go back to what it says here in verse 22. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, Jesus Christ is more concerned about just the act. Jesus is concerned about the attitudes or what's going on in the heart. You know, you might have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and you ask them um, if they think they're a bad person and immediately most people say, well, I've never murdered anyone. Was that true? Or is it true by Jesus' definition? Have you ever been so angry with somebody? You're just frustrated with another person? That you say things? Our, our children are probably the most honest, in, honest. When they're really angry with us, they'd say things like, I wish you weren't my mom. I wish you would just go away. Sometimes when we're angry, we think the same things about another person. And we don't realize what we're doing. And Jesus Christ is bringing us into a different heart place. He's saying that when we're angry with another person, that we're liable for judgment. That what's going on in our heart, the assassination of character, is as important as what goes on with our hands, which is the murder of an individual. So he starts by saying, if you're angry with your brother, which is like an out-of-control outburst of angry you're liable he goes on further and he says whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and that would be actually the council of that time would have been the sanhedrin whoever speaks poorly of his brother is liable uh, the ca character assassination is what we're talking about and then he even goes even further he says and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire now you fool is an interesting word in the original language, the word was raka, which means empty. You know, I think probably the better example than just you fool would be those who speak of people as being airheads or 
stupid or idiotic. He's saying that the issue of murder is bigger than just the physical taking of a life. The issue of murder is about how we feel about people and what's going on in our attitudes, in our mind, in our heart. He places it in a different way. In fact, not only does he say that these are issues and that these would be considered wrong, he gives some remedies to issues that go on in relationships. He says angry words and attitudes are equal to murder, and then he gives some remedies. He says, so, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First reconcile to your brother, and then come back and offer the gift. He's talking about the priority of people here. <coughs> Here's the reality. Some of us will say horrible things or think horrible things at times of another individual and we'll turn right around and we'll go to worship and we'll talk about how great the Lord is and we'll, we'll, we'll have this time of worship, but we don't realize that it's been affected by what's going on vertically around us. He's saying that keeping your relationship with other people is a priority. In fact, he says, it's such a priority that if you're offering your gift at the altar, you should stop what you're doing and make sure your relationship is right with your brother. That's why we always examine ourselves when we go into communion, because we want to make sure that everything is right with people vertically. It's interesting here that he shifted from you being angry at someone to somebody being angry at you. And how you have a personal responsibility in relationships to stay in, at peace. In fact, he says in one scripture, he says, as much as it counts on you, stay at peace with all people. You know, I think that sometimes we give ourselves permission and say, you know, well, you know, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Jesus Christ is saying that if we want to have and a righteousness that exceeds that of just religious people, we need to make people a priority and peace with people a priority. He says a second thing about that. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser when you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's go back to that first verse here. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. You know, here is something really interesting. There, there's this old phrase, and maybe you've heard it, and it says this. Time heals all wounds. Does it? Really? No. We spend a lot of time in life, if we're really honest... Feeding the elephant of hurt in the room that accompanies us when we visit people as opposed to dealing with things. Here he's saying that peace has an urgency. In another passage, he'll say, do not let the sin, don't, don't let the, your anger, the sun go down on your anger. Deal with your anger that day. And so when he's talking about relationships, all of a sudden to have an exceeding, <coughs> to have an exceeding 
righteousness beyond what was just normal for that day, you had to be willing to have a different heart about people. You, you had to be willing to be in a different kind of relationship with people. People were a priority, and there was an urgency, the peace that you had with them. He goes on and he talks about a second issue, and, and we're going to keep this as G-rated as possible, but he basically says this. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. In fact, this is the idea of being faithful to the person that you're going to marry or you're married to. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, we're talking about issue of the heart. We're not talking just about setting physical boundaries of faithfulness. We're talking about setting emotional and heart boundaries of faithfulness. In fact, he felt like this was so important that he said basically that when we think wrong thoughts of a lack of faithfulness, they're equal to physical adultery. Now, we live in a world that says you can look but you can't touch. We live in a world that's filled with graphic things that are only two clicks away on the internet. We live in a world that has turned people of the opposite gender into things that you play with instead of people that you care for. And Jesus Christ was elevating things again. In fact, he said that this was so important that he says the, the remedy is very serious surgery. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Far better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was talking about physically <laughs> dismembering yourself. No. But I do think that he was telling something that's really important. He was telling us that sin is serious and that you need to be serious about restricting your life in a way that you can deal with the seriousness that it has. He's saying there's a heart issue going on here and we need to be really careful of that heart issue. I'd like to say that I think that that heart issue is taking place outside the body of Christ. But the statistics tell me that it's happening inside of the body of Christ. The statistics tell me that it's not only a male issue, but it's a female issue. And God is calling us to this radical faithfulness to the person we're going to marry. So some of you are before the age of marriage and you're going, well, well, how does this relate to me? Well, you know, I think that being faithful to the person you're marrying is a fascinating concept. I'll t I want to tell you a little story. When Nancy was about five years old, her parents were coming back from one of their overseas, um, uh, th their overseas assignments that they had. And they came into California and they made the decision that instead of flying back to Virginia where they lived, that since their car was being dropped off the boat there, that they were going to drive all the way across the state of North, uh, uh, United States of America. And Nancy's father, being the adventurous guy that he was, said, instead of going a route that I know, I want to go a different route. I want to see different things. 
So they drove through the state of North Dakota. The reason I know this is because they have a picture of being in my hometown all those years ago. Nancy would have been about five years old. And in the middle of town, there's a park called Roosevelt Park. And in the middle of Roosevelt Park, there is this area that had tulips and it had um, this big Dutch windmill there. I'm not sure why it was even there, but it was there and it was like a, a kind of a Photoshop area where you could take pictures. And Nancy and her sisters and her mom sat in front of that and her, their dad took a picture. Now, here's a funny reality. I probably was living in Minot at that time. What if my dad and mom would have looked at me today, that day, and said, Honey, we're going to do something special today. We're going to go to Roosevelt Park. I would have thought that was neat because there was also a zoo in Roosevelt Park, and I would have loved gone to the zoo. But they're saying, No, we're going to go there so you can meet somebody really special. We're going to go there so you can meet your wife. That would have been the reality. You see, Nancy was already alive because she's only 15 days older than me. Nancy was already alive even when I was five years old. This is a challenging thing. God is calling us to radical faithfulness in, re in relationship to the person that we're married to. Adultery is the lack of faithfulness. But he's telling us that we need to do this. And that means... That if you aren't married, that you're supposed to be faithful to the wife you don't have. And if you are married, you're supposed to be faithful to the mate that you have. He's calling us to radical faithfulness and purity. But he's saying something more. He says, I want you to do more than be physically faithful to this person. I want you to be emotionally faithful. You know, God's word is very interesting because he tells us that we're supposed to love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so there is an emotional love that we're supposed to have for each other. And he's telling us that this is a serious thing. See, expanded righteousness is a hard issue. It treats attitudes and actions equally. It prioritizes people, it learns to act immediately, and it is willing to impose serious restrictions on itself for the sake of having the right kind of righteousness, an expanded righteousness. Now, my encouragement to each one of you today is this, that God is calling us to an expanded righteousness. You know, if you go to the book of Revelation, one of the, the groups that is talked to is the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea's problem was, is that they had lost their first love and they had a mediocre or a lukewarm faith. God is not desiring that that to be true of us. He's calling us to live out this expanded righteousness and this expanded faith. So, when you take a look at your life right now, uh, how do you need to prioritize people? How do you need to equal out your attitudes with your actions? 
What kind of things do you need to act on immediately that maybe you've been pushing off? Maybe there's a relationship you're thinking about or an action that you think, you know, eventually I'm going to get to that. And, and what restrictions do you honestly need to put on yourself because you love God and want to have a meaningful relationship with him? Now, there are going to be some of you out there going, well, my goodness, I'm never going to be, get to be able to be a Christian because I can barely do right right now. I, I, I'm hoping that I'm good enough to get in. And I'm going to tell you something that's kind of scary for you to understand. You are not good enough to get in. None of us are good enough to get in. Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. And so we needed someone to give us a righteousness that we didn't have. We needed someone to take our spot, to take the punishment so that we could have that relationship. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the punishment for the wrong things that we do so that we could have a relationship with God. That's how you gain citizenship in the kingdom it's not by who was in your family or what country you come from it comes by you personally asking jesus christ to be your savior but then once we ask jesus christ to be our savior we want to love him well when nancy and i were dating there was this girl named karen karen was her best friend and she was also my spy and i would ask karen on a regular basis so how am i doing with Nancy, what is she saying? She well, she really likes you. Is there anything I need to work on? And she would say, well, you know, you do this and this, and sometimes that's hard for her. And I would make a mental note that I was going to try not to do those things anymore. Why? Because as my love for Nancy grew, I didn't want anything to stand in the way of that love. We need to take a look at what Jesus is laying out in this picture of expanded righteousness, of his willingness to be honest and say, hey, this is what I want you to look like as you grow in your relationship with me. Yes, we received his righteousness so that we can have a relationship and be in the kingdom. But now we want to work out our faith with fear and trembling, so that we can grow. So think about your life right now. Just what is the one thing that God's telling you to do, maybe in one of these areas? And how can you begin doing that even today so that you are being serious in growing in the expanded righteousness of your personal relationship with the Lord today? Let's pray. Dear God, I, I think of your word and what it says to us. And I, I think of these areas. We live in a very impure world. God, uh, it's, it's not PG. It's certainly not G-rated. And so we pray that we would be able to be very faithful in our relationship to you and our relationships to each other. God, I, I don't know what the one or two things that you're asking your people to do today but I know the one or two things that you've challenged my heart to today. And I pray, God, that I would be willing to take much more seriously the change that you're calling me to, to live the expanded righteousness. 
God, I, I want to have the most meaningful relationship I can with you. And I desire that for your people. God, I pray specifically for the people in this room that maybe have never begun that relationship. And I pray that this would be that moment when they would accept your sacrifice and your, your commitment to them so that they could have a relationship with you. I pray that they would pray the simple prayer of asking you to be their savior and that because of what you're doing in their heart, they would understand that they by believing in you, would have a relationship with you. And dear God, I pray that we would be known by our expanding relationships with you. Uh, God, the world can see hypocrisy so easily. God, remove the, the distance between how we act and what our heart tells us and give us an undivided heart. God, Ezekiel says that you'll take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And so give us a heart that seeks after you more strongly each day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you made one of these decisions today, in the uh, description underneath there, there's one section that just basically says there's a form that you can fill out so that we can get to know you and and know where you're at. So if you made that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ today, I'd encourage you to go in there and punch that. Um, click the I accepted Jesus today as my personal Savior so that we can help you grow in that relationship. And if you're a new person to us, uh, I encourage you um, to... Uh, Fill out that form so we can know you're out there. We have no idea because we're not physically together who might be watching this and who might need our ministry. So fill out that form and let us get to know you a little bit. Um, when we go to prayer today, um, uh, just a couple things. We want to continue praying for Angela. She's had, is this next Monday her, her last chemo, Nance? I don't Okay, so I don't know if you heard that, but she has four more radiations and she's done with chemo and we just need to pray for her because especially the radiation takes a lot out of your body and uh, we just want to pray for um, the wholeness of her body and that she would continue just to experience that. We're so glad that her sister's been here and helping and uh, we pray for Fred and the, and the girls and uh, we just pray that you would continue to take care of them. Um, we have been praying for rain in Honduras and, uh, and I just got word that they, it has been raining there and rain is in the forecast. Um, but their, um, stay at home order is more serious than ours. If you have a stay, a stay at home order, according to the stay at home order in Honduras right now, you can only go out one time in the two weeks based on the number of your ID. Uh, you can only go out one time. And so um, it's much more serious. Um, they're glad that they live in a community where they take care of each other. Um, and so just be praying for Julia and her husband and her little boy and uh, in this time. Uh, there's a lot of other things you can be praying for. Just check out the prayer list. They're on there. I think that some people are, are weary of waiting. And so we just pray for the wisdom of our our national and uh, state leaders as uh, we look forward to the day. Some of you have already been asking, when are we getting back together? Boy, are we looking forward to that. But we have no idea at this point yet.
when we would be getting back together and what that's going to look like. Uh, the ministry team is actually going to meet tomorrow and talk about some of that. So you can pray in for them as we Zoom together and uh, talk about just some of the issues of what it means to bring the body back together here. Um, uh, just as a note, uh, uh, National Love of Two is uh, one of the dear leaders of, and, and just an incredible apologist is Ravi Zacharias. And um, he sent out a note this week to say that they're sending him home and there's nothing else they can do for his cancer. So we pray for both the miracle of healing, um, but we also just pray for him in this time. You know, John Piper has been speaking of this time as being a time of bitter providence. And uh, God help us to deal with some of the harder emotions that go along with this. And so uh, there's many things that we need to be praying for as a body. Um, and I, I want to thank those of you who have given. Uh, we're going to be sending a note out to the membership. We have enough oil and enough flour um, in the jar right now. God is taking care of us in unique ways, and we're so very thankful. So let's pray together as we close this service. Dear God, a part of what we need to pray is, is a deep sigh that represents deep feelings and emotions that we have right now that we're not even sure how to express. But your word in Romans 8 says that you speak for us. And so we pray that the Spirit would speak for us in those things that we don't understand. God, we pray for all the different emotion that is going into the stay-at-home order right now. God, we long to be about the very things your word says. It says that we're supposed to work hard and we're supposed to live quietly. And God, we want to work hard again. And so we pray that the restraints with wisdom would be released for our, our carpenters and contractors and those people that have been in the column of non-essential would become essential. God, that you would take care of our church in that way. Well, God, we uh, pray for the people that we love. Some of us have had the good fortune of not seeing COVID touch our families. Others have experienced it touch their families. And so, God, we pray for those that are sick, those that are worried and concerned, and we pray that you would give them peace. God, my heart goes out to the Tuggle family and the death of his father this week and that homegoing and, and how hard that was for him to be in a hospital and in isolation and alone at the end of his life. And so we just pray that this being the second death of a grandparent, we pray for the kids. And we pray for Colin and Lisa in this time. And we pray that you would give them a special comfort. God, we are thankful for the opportunity that we've had for all these years to hold the rope for Julia and her family. And so we thank you for the picture we get into Honduras of this experience that they're having. And we pray that you would keep their baby healthy and we're thankful that both of them are employed and they have paychecks. And we pray, God, that you would take care of even their simplest needs, God, as they are um, sequestered at a level that we don't even understand here in the United States. 
And God, we pray for ourselves and we pray that we would be cautious and patient as we go through this process. This has been a very weird time. And now all different kind of ideas about what's going on are, are circulating everywhere. And we pray for wisdom to know specifically how we are supposed to respond as Christians. And we pray, God, that we would, we would respond with exceeding righteousness, God, that our attitudes and our words would line up, that we would keep your priorities as your people, and that we would show by our ethic and our actions that we are people of the kingdom of God. God, we thank you for how you've provided for this church body, and you've taken care of its needs. We pray a special blessing on all of those that give to this church. We thank you for those who've been able to give sacrificially out of their more right now. And we thank you for those who are obedient and giving their tithe. And we pray that each one of us would learn to trust you to give what you ask and um, expect of us as your kingdom people. And God, we pray that you would bless us as we seek wisdom into what are our next steps, both for families and as a church family? Lord, take good care of us and continue to provide for us and give us wisdom as we seek to not just connect digitally, but we seek to be physically together as your body here at Lake Placid Baptist. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be together this morning. And we pray that we could live what you're teaching us through your word. Help us to be obedient and surrender more each day to you as we are a faith family learning to trust you more. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you have a great day. Hope she gets spoiled just a little bit if there's one in your house. God bless you.